0: Welcome back to another episode of Here for the Crack with me, Emma Neal. I hope you're all doing well. This podcast episode is very kindly sponsored by the Styles app. Guys, you know me, you know I'm into my fashion and the Styles app has been such a game changer for me since I started using it. So basically, Styles is a new app and it's completely centred around fashion. It's for anyone with a love of fashion. You don't need to be an influencer. You don't need to be a model. You don't need to be, you know, working in the fashion industry absolutely anyone and everyone that has a love for fashion will love using styles. One of the things I love the most about styles right is that you can't see other people's followers and you can't see likes on photos so it completely takes away that aspect of things. There's no pressure you know to have a certain amount of followers to have a certain amount of likes. It also just completely takes away. Do you ever get when you're on Instagram or something or TikTok and you know, you're more likely to follow someone that has more followers because you think, oh, maybe I should follow them because they have more followers. It completely takes away that aspect and that pressure of things. And it just means like everyone's on an equal playing field. Everyone can post their outfits. You're not checking back to see if you've got loads of likes or comments or new followers. It is solely based on fashion and your outfit pictures. Think of it as like your own catalogue of your outfit of the day's. There's not the same pressure like there is on the likes of Instagram for everything to be, you know, the perfect photo and for everything to be so curated and aesthetic. As you use it more and more, you start to build up this profile on styles, right? And you end up with like literally a catalogue of your wardrobe, pictures of your outfit of the day all those pictures that would normally just get completely lost in your camera roll or that you would even forget to take in the first place or maybe you know ones that you would pop on your private story like little videos of you in your outfit of the day that just never end up seeing the light of day anywhere else you now have this catalogue of outfits where we all know we go through those times where you open your wardrobe you feel so uninspired nothing's jumping out at you and you literally are like I don't own any clothes Yet you're looking at a wardrobe full to the brim of clothes. And see in those moments to be able to flick through all your outfits and know exactly what you can wear and exactly the different ways you can style things. Like I'm a huge lover of repeating outfits and wearing certain pieces like in a hundred different ways, dressing them up, dressing them down, adding different layers and to be able to have like a photo diary of all the different ways I've styled things and to remember how I can wear different things and to just almost get re-inspired by my own wardrobe by looking at my styles account is honestly such a lifesaver. It's a really good way of seeing how you can wear trends in loads of different ways. For example, there's a trend that I really, really want to jump on board with and that is the skirts over trousers trend or like the skirts over jeans trend. I haven't quite done it yet but I'm liking different things on styles I'm getting an idea for how I want to do it and how I want to put my spin on it. And it's just giving me a lot of ideas and inspiration and making me feel more confident in trying that trend, if that makes sense. You can also view other people's likes. So, you know, if you find someone whose style you really like, you can even go and view their likes and see who they follow and see where they get their inspiration from. It's honestly just such a great app. I know for a fact I'm going to be using this on a regular basis because it's just too easy, I think, a lot of the time to only ever think in your head of, like, the most recent items you've bought and kind of forget about everything else in your wardrobe. The link to download the Styles app from the App Store will be in the podcast description. So check it out, get it downloaded, start posting your OOTDs, find people whose style inspires you and thank you so, so much to Styles for sponsoring this week's episode. Oh my god, guess what I did this morning? I did the presentation that I was talking about. Do you remember a few episodes ago and I was like, oh, one of my tutors emailed me asking if I would do a presentation and I was hemming and hawing about it, but I was like, I feel like it's a sign for me to get over my fear of public speaking. Well, didn't I do it this morning? All I can say is that you're listening to the new brand ambassador of Propanwell. <laughs> You bet, I went to the doctors and got myself some beta blockers after literally everyone recommending them. I was like, why do I not know about this? It just seemed so common. It seemed like something everyone had ready to go, like in their pocket, ready to go for when they next had a presentation or a driving test or a, I don't know, French oral exam. It was like every single person and their mum was replying to my Instagram story that time saying to get propranolol. I was like, where have I been? Sorry, for anyone who doesn't know what propranolol is, I don't know if I'm saying that right. So apologies if that's not how you say it. But it's a beta blocker. It controls your heart rate, like steadies your heart rate. So basically, it controls the physical symptoms of anxiety, which was my big issue when it came to public speaking. Because in my head, I really try and downplay these things. Try not to overthink them. I try to tell myself, like, it's fine. Basically, I've got no more nerves in my head than I would say your average person. Just like a regular amount of nerves, but not in a way where it's like debilitating or that I'm like kept up at night thinking about it. My downfall with any of those things, with getting up on stage to literally do anything, was the physical symptoms that would come with that automatically, even even when I wasn't overthinking it. And I know I talked about this in detail in my favourite public speaking and performance anxiety podcast, so I'll not get fully into it, but yeah, I was very much like, it was the physical symptoms for me that were so difficult to control. No matter how much I would tell myself in my head that it was fine and that I was fine and that I was confident and all this, my heart would be beating out of its chest. I almost like struggled to breathe, palms are sweating, talking so fast because... And am trying like, to get it all out in one breath and then be like... <clears throat> and once you do get those physical symptoms, the thing is, is it's then really hard to control your mind and your thoughts because you're very much concentrating on the fact that these things are happening to you and then you can really get like carried away in your own brain and then you also get like more panic that other people are see- perceiving you in this way and they can actually actively see those symptoms does that make sense so what the beta blocker does is steady your heart rate and it means well that's the main thing all the other physical symptoms that come with it are as a result of your increased heart rate so you got that under control and then all you need to focus on is what you're telling yourself in your head which is a lot easier to do you can just convince yourself you're queen shit and like you're so confident And you're excited, in fact, to talk about whatever it is that you're talking about. And that's what I was able to do for the first time in my life. Oh my god. I just felt so at ease, which is so not normal for me. And I still had the kind of, you know, really normal baseline nerves before standing up. But then once I stood up and once I got into it, that didn't take over my body the way it normally does. And I was able to speak with clarity, I was able to make jokes, I was able to, you know, just relax and not rush through it, take my time with it, elaborate on all my points. That whole feeling that I just experienced was so alien to me. I mean, you're still, you, you know, when you have the adrenaline, obviously, and then you sit back down after something like that, and it's like, you kind of just been like floating for the last however many minutes or however long it was like I don't know it's such a strange feeling like you sit down and you don't know if you've been stood up for an hour or for five minutes it all just feels like not a blur but I don't know you generally just feel like you're floating around the place even on the bus on my way to the presentation and I was reading my book I was reading my kindle And everything just felt like a simulation, like the way my eyes were going or something. I don't don't think this is normal, to be honest. But yeah, moral of the story is I am the new spokesperson for Burpanol, apparently. (laughs) Number one fan over here. Do I want to make a habit of it, having to take that every time? Probably not. But what I do think it's really good for is building your confidence in the first place. So... For example, like obviously, now I've had a really positive experience with public speaking, so for next time, I just like won't be half as scared. I'll still obviously use it for the next like few times i am ever in this type of situation, but as I get more and more confident with it, maybe eventually I won't have to take them. I mean, I actually really don't think it's the end of the world if for the rest of my life. For only public speaking things, I had to take them. I think it would be more of an issue if I became reliant on them where you're taking them every day because I know it is obviously a medication that's prescribed for general anxiety. So like people that have uh, general anxiety on a daily basis do take the drug every day three times a day. I think three... Oh wait, is it three times a day? I'm actually not 100% sure. And there's obviously absolutely nothing wrong with that as well. Like If you have generalized anxiety and that's what helps it then that's amazing but that's not what I've been prescribed it for and for the amount of times in a year like realistically how many times am I gonna want to take one of these things I don't really do much public speaking stuff it's just like a little goal of mine that I wanted to get past and this is just the first step I need to not get too ahead of myself (laughs) and remember that what I did today was like you know Probably one of the easiest type of public speaking things I could ever do. First of all, because of the size of the audience, audience, class. (laughs) And second of all, because of the topic I was talking about. So firstly, I think there was what, like six people, seven people in the class. Really not a big audience, is it? You know, compare that to people public speaking on a stage of thousands of people. But you know we're taking baby steps we're getting there and then secondly obviously the topic I was talking about it was just like my work and what I do and with the podcast where my inspiration comes from how I plan it how I edit and um, what my plans are for it in the future how I promote it across like different channels and and um, the benefit of like multimedia content. So you know this shit's my bread and butter like I don't need to go away and research that I can just talk about that freely obviously yeah I've got my bullet points as my prompts to keep me in the right direction and yeah just to prompt me and keep me flowing from start to finish but it's not like I was stood up there intimidated by the fact that I didn't know what I was talking about so I think I had that on my side as well. Yeah, we're taking baby steps, we're gonna get there eventually, I believe in myself. Especially after that, I feel like that was just the first little boost of confidence I needed and now, moving forward, I'll have a way more positive outlook on it and hopefully, yeah, just be a lot more open to these things. And then maybe one day we'll have a live podcast, who knows, I don't want to speak too soon. So yeah, obviously I am back in Leeds I didn't come back to do that. I came back because it was about time. I returned to class. That was becoming a bit of a joke. Do you know what? I was really worried because, okay, so I've got this class every week for visual communications. It's three hours long. It's not like a class, like a lecture class. It's very much like a classroom where the teacher, like an art class where the teacher makes their way around, discusses your ideas, gives you a bit of critical feedback if you've got any work to show them they kind of give you some feedback and maybe tell you for your next shoot how you can improve it or if you've got any issues on like photoshop or any of the adobe programs that's when you can ask any questions it's just it's a very informal kind of class it's not a lecture but it's a very beneficial class because If you're going every week, you're constantly getting feedback, like you're constantly bringing work, getting feedback, then you're basically always going to be improving, if that makes sense. Like, it's not like when you do an essay and, you know, you just get set the essay, you've got the deadline, you hand it in, you maybe will have like one opportunity to get a little bit of feedback, but they can't tell you too much because, I mean, I don't really know why. They can't but they don't anyway. They can't they say they can't because they can't like they can't just tell you how to get the top marks. I think you're meant to try and do that yourself, read the marking criteria. I don't know. Anyway, it's a really beneficial class because by getting constant weekly feedback like this on your work, you're always able to get closer and closer to like the highest grades you can get, basically. I mean, obviously you could completely ignore the feedback and not bother with what they say, but it's a really good opportunity to be able to increase your mark. And I was really worried coming back after literally missing like four weeks in a row of it. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to come back with all these photo shoots done at once, show him it. And I'm shitting myself that he's going to turn around and have all this, not necessarily like negativity to say, but just like, a lot of stuff i need to work on and i'm gonna be like oh fuck like i've just spent my whole time at home doing that uh no i'm gonna have to reshoot everything at easter i thought it was really gonna stress me out i was like literally everything was crossed hands toes legs arms hair everything was crossed hoping that the feedback was good and it was thank god honestly such a weight lifted off of my shoulders to know that i don't have to go back at easter and like Reshoot a whole load of things is just it's music to my ears. I mean, I still have a few shoots to do, but I knew that anyway. Like, I knew I had some more to do, and I was planning on doing them of Racer anyway. But I was thinking, imagine I had like everything to reshoot on top of that. So, yeah, I'm here for two weeks. Two weeks of squeaky bum time. I was actually speaking to another girl on my course this morning because she was also doing a little presentation for like the same class as me we were both there doing it and she is like a freelance fashion writer she writes for magazines and she does copywriting for like websites and stuff as well so basically at the start of term I had someone as my dissertation tutor and then they got sick so then everyone that had that person had to they had to find a new tutor for us essentially and obviously there was a bit of time in between when they found this new person that the people with this tutor didn't have any one-to-ones so everything kind of got pushed back if you were getting this new tutor so as a result like all our like our deadline our final deadline for the dissertation got pushed back our interim submission got pushed back all our one-to-ones got pushed back so we're like um basically on my course there is about half of the people handing in their dissertation next week but then the other half of us aren't tanning in for another five weeks. So we're like four weeks behind. But the girl that I was with this morning, she's in the group that is due next week, but she's already submitted it and everything. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm so jealous of you right now. That must feel incredible to have that out of the way. I feel like when the dissertation's over, I'm going to be in holiday mode and I'm going to forget the fact that I actually still have other deadlines and other work to be doing. I'm just going to be like, too busy celebrating that that's done <laughs> so yeah we're gonna have a nice quiet sober weekend this weekend make a bit of a headway hopefully in one of the sections well actually kind of like the last section of my dissertation and oh my god guys I know the last time I spoke to you was the day before St. Patrick's Day and I was talking about maybe skipping it not skipping it but just like not drinking because I didn't know if I had it in me and I didn't I had a really, really nice, relaxing, sober weekend last weekend. And you know what? It was exactly what I needed. It did just feel so wrong not celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Like, come on, pull yourself together for one day of the year. But sometimes you just have to listen to your body. And there's always next year. In fact, I'll probably be way more excited for next year's after skipping a year. I think I'm really at a place now where I really value my sober weekends. Like, I just find them very fulfilling I feel very content and wholesome at the end of the weekend I feel ready to start my week I'm in a positive mindset like I just really value that time that I give to myself by not drinking and I think it has to now really take something that I really really want to drink for like that's going to be really worth it for me to give that up And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of times when it is worth it. Like It doesn't need to be something really special like my birthday or a graduation or something. It can be way more simple things. But as long as I know in my head it's worth it, then that's fine. But I think I'm done with the just always kind of by default making plans to drink and then suffering as a consequence of it because it wasn't worth it. My peak of the week this week was definitely this morning. I just feel like I had such a nice little morning because I really wanted to make sure, well, do you know what? I've been really trying to make sure I'm implementing my morning routine since I've got back to Leeds, just because I know what I can be like when I let that slip. But I think this morning I was really super conscious of it because of the fact that I was doing this presentation and I really wanted to make sure I started my day off on the right note, and I also I'm always very conscious of making sure I start my day off on the right note on my podcast recording days just because again, like I want to make sure I'm feeling my best and I'm able to you know you have to be in a good headspace to sit down and talk like this for a while, so yeah, pretty basic, but my peak was this morning. I got up early, I went to the gym, I literally only stayed there for like twenty minutes because I didn't have too much time, but I just wanted to do like a little bit of exercise to get the endorphins flowing. I came back, got a shower, listened to Fern Cotton's podcast with Taylor Jenkins Reid, who is the author of Daisy Jones and the Six, if you've read that. What was her other one I really liked? Oh, The husband, the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I got ready for the day. I filmed a couple of TikToks and then I got the bus into uni, read my book on the way and did the presentation. And then obviously I was just like a bit chuffed with myself after. I got the bus back to round where I live. Went out for a little coffee and a sandwich, treating myself after the day's events or the morning's events. And then now I'm sitting down to talk to you guys. So I just feel like this is 100% my peak of the week. My pit of the week, what was it? I actually would go as far to say that I didn't really have like a low low of this week. It's been a pretty stable week for me, which definitely isn't always the case. But I can't say there wasn't one thing. Maybe, okay, so on Sunday for Mother's Day, we went to my auntie's house for dinner. Sometimes you just hear things from your grandparents you just don't want to hear. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'll am i not get into the details of it, but like, my grandparents are very your traditional right-wing, daily Mail reading, probably DUP supporting, but... I'll be honest, is not a question or a discussion. Like, it's not a question I want to get asked because it's not a discussion I want to get into because I know I would be seething with rage if I was to be like directly told that from them. So yeah, it's not something I want to talk about with them. But yeah, obviously with being big Daily Mail supporters or raiders comes a lot of very questionable arguments, I guess you could say. And yeah, that was my pit of the week. I just don't like hearing that shit. And I always stand up for what I believe to be true or what I believe to be the less judgmental and the more empathetic side of things, I guess you could say. The reason I do always make a point of standing up for the other side Because I know there's a lot of people that just like to keep peace within the family. Not even that, but a lot of people are just very like, oh, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks type of mindset. No point in arguing. Like, they've lived like that their whole life. Me saying something at a dinner table isn't going to change that. And if you're like that, that's completely fine. But that's just not me. I think I'm incapable of biting my tongue in those scenarios. I think sometimes it's a positive thing and I think other times it's maybe a negative thing. But in my eyes, I just think you know, if old people are more than capable of keeping up with everything in terms of technology and cars, and you know, even have like Instagram and everything, they're able to keep up with all of these things. So you know, you're definitely more than capable of keeping up with new ideas and of being more empathetic and more less judgmental of people and more open to. I just everything that's going on now that maybe wouldn't have in your time I don't think it's an excuse to say in our time it wasn't like that it's like yeah but you know when I was five years old life was different as well that doesn't mean to say you don't develop and change with the times and I just think too many people give all people too much of a bible and I'm just not one of those people that will give them the bible so that was my pit of the week My recommendation for this week has to be a 0% alcohol thing that I had last weekend on the Friday, which was St. Patrick's Day, because I wasn't going out Um, and neither were my parents. They were just sat in the house and we were having dinner together. I think my mum's friend, I think, basically, I think my mum and her friend had been discussing sharing different non alcoholic stuff that they'd been liking because her friend was on a bit of a sober kick and mum was saying that I was and that she was like also as a result kind of trying it because you know every time I was getting in stuff I was always getting everyone to taste it and then there'd be times then because she knew that she was liking some of them then she would opt for the non-alcoholic version so yeah just as a result of me trying it, I guess my mum ended up also giving it a go and also she's training for the London Marathon next month so there's been lots of nights you know where she still felt like she had to go to them but maybe had like her big run the next morning and she's been able to drink the non-alcoholic stuff. Anyway, I don't know why I'm getting this deep into it, but what I was saying was my mum and her friend were kind of discussing the different non-alcoholic stuff that they had tried. Her friend was like, oh my God, you have to try this 0% Aperol that I've been loving. We've been making Aperol spritzes with them and it is just the best thing. I will send you a bottle. So she sent my mum a bottle and we went out and got the zero percent prosecco that I said that I recommended before, the Frexinet one. Again, probably butchering the name still. I mean, I guess because it's going into a cocktail, or well, a mocktail in this case, made of multiple ingredients, it doesn't necessarily have to be your favourite one. Frexinet is my favourite non-alcoholic prosecco that I've tried, but you know, any of them will do if they don't. Because I, I always see that secco one, which I don't think is as nice. But it's a lot cheaper, I think. And it's also just a bit more readily available, I'm pretty sure, in most supermarkets. But yeah, we got the it, 0% Prosecco. We got the soda water. We got the orange to do a nice big slice of orange in it. And then obviously had the 0% Aperol sent from my mum's friend. We made Aperol spritzes after, no, well, while we were making dinner. And they were honestly delicious like they were so good and they were so like the real ones the brand of the non-alcoholic Aperol is called I'm definitely gonna butcher this as well it's called Liars or lyres I don't really know it's spelled l-y-r-e-s lyres we're gonna say and it's called Liars italian spritz non-alcoholic spirit I'm just looking it up now and you can get it on amazon and you can also just get it on their website. I'm not 100% sure if there's any supermarkets you can get it in, but it is £23.50 on Amazon. Could not recommend it more. I cannot wait for the sun to come out and to be sitting in my back garden with a little non-alcoholic Aperol spritz in hand, soaking in the rays, pretending I'm in Italy. It was actually insane. Like, it was so good. Hands down the best non-alcoholic spirit I've tried so far, but I haven't tried that many spirits. My main thing I've been trying is more beers and a few wines here and there. Spirits hasn't been, yeah, I haven't really delved too far into the non-alcoholic spirits, but now that I've tried this Liars one, I'm like, fuck, I need to try all the Liars ones because if this one is that good, surely there's some other really good ones in there. And sometimes I also think, for example, like I was saying about, you know, the having a drink in a, in the sun. sometimes I think it's not actually an alcoholic thing that you necessarily want. Like you don't necessarily in that moment want to be getting drunk when you're just having a little Aperol spritz in the sun. It's more just like the ritual of how it feels like you're on holiday and how it's nice and refreshing do you know what I mean? In the same way that a lot of the time in the morning, your little ritual with your coffee in the morning, you don't actually need the caffeine a lot of the time first thing, unless you've literally only gotten like four hours sleep and you're desperate for some caffeine. A lot of the time you don't need your caffeine to hit first thing in the morning and you can actually make that a decaf. And I feel like it's the same scenario here, like there's so many instances where you can so easily make it a non-alcoholic version and not be mad about it because... It's not the alcohol that you want in that moment. It's the ritual of having the little iced, cold, refreshing drink. My words of this week, another little Instagram post, of course, is you're allowed to make a big deal about things that are important to you. Simple. All right, so for this week's podcast topic, I want to talk a little bit about the oxymoron that is sustainable fashion. An oxymoron is basically something that contradicts itself. So in this case, the term sustainable fashion is a little bit of an oxymoron because can fashion ever truly be sustainable? Like fashion itself is a bit of an unsustainable concept. So is sustainable fashion an oxymoron? I don't know, we're going to get into it. I'll be completely honest with you guys, this is not a topic I like to discuss frequently and I'll tell you why. It is a topic I'm really interested in and it's a topic I would write a lot about and include a lot within my uni work. But when it comes to talking about it on social media and on the podcast, I'm always a little bit hesitant to do so. Because one, I don't want to shame anyone. Everyone has different circumstances. Everyone has different bodies, different budgets, different lives, different abilities, different everything. And I think to talk about fast fashion in a demeaning way, ultimately can shame people and that's not really what I set out to do. In fact, it's not really, it isn't what I set out to do. In the same way, when it comes to speaking about veganism, you know, instead of shaming people for eating meat and talking about how bad it is that you eat meat and how bad like i i just don't think it's the right way to go about it i don't think there's any need for it and i prefer to take the other stance and as opposed to talking very negatively about something i like to talk very positively about the other side so in the same way that you know i don't like to talk really negatively about not eating vegan Instead, I talk really positively about eating vegan and I lead by example and I show all the amazing vegan food that I cook and all the amazing vegan food that I get at restaurants and at markets and at cafes and I show how easy it can be and I just show all the, I put it in a good light, I show all the positive sides of it instead of talking down on the other side of things. And I guess that's kind of the same stance I've taken with the whole sustainable fashion versus fast fashion argument. Instead of absolutely slandering fast fashion and people that purchase fast fashion as a result, because I feel like people do often take these things personally, even if the person doesn't mean it personally. If they, they could literally just be talking about it as an industry and how problematic it is. But the people on the receiving end of that, you know, if you get someone on a bad day, that maybe already feels a bit guilty about something and then you've said this, they might've taken it in a way that it is personal to them and you're attacking them for spending their money with this thing when that's not necessarily always the case. And so instead I just try and take the opposite approach. I try to talk about how good some sustainable Fashion brands are, and I try to support slow fashion brands and small designers. Buying second hand, you know, showing that I'm selling my clothes on Vinted or Depop. Rewearing outfits over and over again, rewearing pieces of clothing over and over again in loads of different ways, and yeah, just kind of leading by example and showing that more positive side of it instead of shaming people on the other side of it. So that's my first reason why I don't really talk about it too much. My second reason why I'm really wary of kind of branding myself, I I never want to brand myself as a sustainable fashion person and that's because firstly I actually don't know if I truly believe that exists but that's what we're going to talk about in this episode and secondly I think the second you kind of brand yourself as something whether that be vegan or whether it be sustainable or whether it be I don't know I can't think of anything else but basically the second you kind of label yourself as something you get held to that standard and when people hold you to that standard it doesn't allow any room for mistakes. You know all of a sudden if someone turns around and says they're not they now only support sustainable fashion and they no longer shop fast fashion and then say for their birthday they happen to go out and buy something You know, they're shopping in town with their friend, they're getting food in town with a friend and they happen to see something in the window of Zara that they absolutely fall in love with and they just can't resist purchasing from it. And next thing, all their friends are like, "Mm, I thought you were only shopping sustainably and being like really judgmental about it and like look at her saying one thing and doing the other type of thing. But yet, you know, all the other people that are there that do shop fast fashion, no one says a word to them because they haven't labeled themselves as anything different. So they don't get held to a different standard. So I think because of that, I'm very reluctant to talk too much about this topic to the point that people all of a sudden think that I am this like sustainable fashion girly that only shops secondhand and that only supports sustainable ethical fashion brands. And if I'm to veer any way away from that even the tiniest bit then there's like outrage about it I'm just not doing that to myself because at the end of the day I'm not perfect and I don't truly believe that the way I shop is sustainable and as I said we're gonna talk about that but I'm human I'm gonna make mistakes over and over and over again and I would prefer to not get slandered for those mistakes as I'm sure all of you would too. Like we're all allowed to make mistakes. It doesn't make us bad people. So first I want to talk about some terms because I feel like there's a lot of discourse around like what actually is sustainable fashion? What does that mean? And there's a lot of other words that are kind of used interchangeably but there actually are some differences. So for example ethical fashion is often a term that would be used and another one would be slow fashion. That's also kind of in the mix. So let's just talk about those terms for a sec and come to grips with what the differences are between them all and can they be used interchangeably. So sustainable fashion is a pretty broad term, I would say, and there's actually no legislation in place for for brands to call themselves sustainable. I don't think there's really any legislation in place for them to do that. Like They don't need to meet certain standards i mean to get obviously to get like certain badges and i don't know b corp certified and all that you obviously need to fit certain things but there's nothing to stop pretty much any brand from saying they're sustainable i mean don't get me wrong not every brand's gonna do it because people would see right through it like pre-mark's hardly gonna turn around and call themselves a sustainable fashion brand it would cause a lot more uproar than it would do good for them um but yeah there, there isn't really anything, I don't think, to say that you can't just call yourself a sustainable fashion brand, hence why you do get the odd one popping up. Like, do you remember when Cider first came up? Shop Cider, I used to be getting all these ads for it, and I remember looking on their about page, and they called themselves a sustainable brand, and it's literally just like another Shane type of thing. <laughs> so I don't know how they got away with that, and I don't know if they still label themselves as that, but they nearly tricked me and they first came out and i didn't know that it was fast fashion when you look up sustainable fashion to see what they what the internet defines sustainable fashion as it tells you that sustainable fashion is a way in which brands create clothing that not only reduces the impact on the environment but is also mindful of the people who work to produce the garments so hypothetically if something calls itself sustainable fashion it should be environmentally sustainable as well as being ethically produced but that's not always the case i'm gonna really try my hardest to give you examples of brands for like every term i'm gonna describe i just think it makes it easier to like understand what i'm talking about but also i'm really wary of kind of getting it wrong and putting a brand under the wrong bracket so i really apologize if i do but i will try my best not to Let's take Primark again as an example. Okay, Primark is a great example of something that we all know to be fast fashion. I'm almost a hundred percent sure that Primark have tried to have like sustainable lines within the shop. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen like eco conscious kind of sections. Am I right in saying that? Um, where they'll call everything sustainable. So in this case, for example, we've got Primark. That's a fast fashion shop. Having a quote unquote sustainable line of clothes or of accessories or whatever it is, they're probably being made in the same places but with different materials, so the reason they're calling it sustainable is because it's maybe from more made from more eco friendly materials, but it's still being produced in the same factories and you know in the same way that all the rest of the garments are being produced. so in this case, them calling something sustainable it's taking the environmental concerns more into consideration but it's not taking the ethical side of things into consideration and that's what I was saying about how you know when I looked up on google the definition of sustainable fashion it encompassed both of those things but often when we use it or when brands use it it doesn't encompass both of those things In fact, I think that the term sustainable fashion is more generally used to describe things that are made from more eco-friendly materials. And then if you want to also say that something is ethically made, that's like added on. Do you know what I mean? So what does it mean for something to be ethically made? Because I feel like a lot of people think, oh, for something to be ethically made, it can't be made in a developing country, which actually isn't true you definitely can still have ethically made fashion that is made in factories in developing countries. However, it's not as commonly done because it's a little bit more difficult to control and monitor. And I will get into why that is in a second. So a good example of a brand that is sustainable and ethically made, but still gets their garments made in a developing country is Lucy and Yak. Lucy and Yak is a dungaree brand. I think they well, they mainly do really cute like printed dungarees and I'm pretty sure their factory is in Bangladesh however they are really good at monitoring everything and they pay their workers a higher than living wage which often a lot of the fast fashion brands will actually they're not necessarily in direct control of what their garment workers are getting paid they're just outsourcing to a factory getting the stuff paid or getting the stuff made for as cheaply as they possibly can and then selling it on. Whereas Lucy and Yak are in like, you know, direct comms with the factory, with the workers. They make sure they get a higher than living wage as opposed to like a less than minimum wage. Like a lot of the workers do in the, what we would kind of call the sweatshops. But yeah, as I said, this isn't quite as commonly done with like sustainable and ethical brands. Because as I said, it is harder to monitor. One, because of just sheer distance, like If you had to make that trip every time you wanted to go over and physically see the conditions and see what was happening, it's just like, it's very far away. Secondly, because of differences in like legalities in other countries, things like workers not having the right to form unions, certain standards of workplaces not being maintained, uh, like pay not being as high as it should be legally. And it kind of all can slip under the radar a lot easier in some other countries. Also, there's a massive issue with uh, people having like workers rights when they are immigrants in some countries. Like I know, for example, because I wrote about this on an essay I did last year where I was talking about how immigrants that come from, I actually can't remember if it was people coming to Malaysia or people coming from Malaysia to somewhere else I can't remember I'm sorry I don't know the specifics I don't remember every last detail of my essay that I wrote last year but basically these workers were having like their passports held from them and they were having to do like ridiculous hours not be not have like food and water not get paid enough and they were basically just being threatened with the fact that they weren't supposed to be there and they would get them deported if they didn't do this work. And they just basically had like no rights as a worker. And yeah, as I said, being like halfway across the globe, these things are very hard to monitor. And also there's the language barrier as well. So that kind of makes things harder. So as a result of loads of different reasons, I guess a lot of like sustainable slash ethical fashion brands opt for having factories either close to home, or at least within Europe, where maybe it's easier to get to and from, easier, easier to monitor, easier to communicate with, and maybe they know the kind of legalities behind uh, workers' rights and everything a little bit more. For example, I know that the Tala factories are in Portugal. I think a lot of like more sustainable brands factories are in Portugal. Apparently they have like really good state-of-the-arts, sustainable fashion factories like really innovative technology and that's where all the stuff gets made that's literally from like recycled plastic bottles and shit. And then lastly we've got the term slow fashion. So slow fashion is essentially just the complete opposite of fast fashion which I know sounds really stupid and basic of me to say like obviously you know slow is the opposite of fast but what I mean by that in terms of like a fashion sense is that it's just the opposite of the whole setup like the whole concept it's not about pushing new trends every week or about encouraging people to do you know big hauls of loads of clothes it's more about purchasing more consciously and encouraging consumers to be slow and thoughtful about their purchases and to really value their garments and look after them and rewear them it's kind of just like the opposite in absolutely every aspect as a business model, shall we say. But again, this is where the confusion comes because, you know, something that is like a slow fashion brand isn't necessarily made from sustainable materials. I mean, nine times out of 10, a a slow fashion brand will be ethically made just because by nature, that's kind of what it is. It's usually, you know, small brands that hand make things. So yeah, I mean, I guess we can say, slow fashion is always kind of ethically made I don't know can we say that yeah I guess so but does that mean it's always made from eco-friendly sustainable materials not necessarily here's an example of this a brand I absolutely love a little small slow fashion brand that I think is based in London it's called Minkadink you've probably seen me in their tops before they do those really gorgeous little satin tie front tops I've got one in dark green and one in a baby blue colour They are very much a slow fashion brand, you know, the pieces are a little bit more expensive than your kind of typical fast fashion top and they don't come out with new pieces all of the time. In fact, I think as long as I have followed them, which has been quite long, they've only kind of dropped maybe two new items and that's kind of like the whole concept of slow fashion. However, does that mean that their tops are made from like recycled materials? No. So this is what I'm saying is like there's so much confusion around what all these different things are and how when we're talking about it all these things can get really mixed up and I think people do use kind of all those terms interchangeably when in actual fact they are all a bit different but I think ultimately what is comforting to know is that if you are opting for any of those things it still is a better decision than opting for fast fashion, I guess. Like You're still being more of a conscious consumer by going with any of those three options, whether that's sustainable, ethical, or slow. It's still a step in the right direction. I mean, ideally, every brand would be all three. You know, We would all absolutely love that, of course. But unfortunately, that's just not the way the fashion industry is. I always sit and think about why... Fashion gets such a bad rep in comparison to the likes of the food industry, which is also, I think, pretty equally unsustainable. Don't quote me on that. And I don't just mean it's unsustainable in terms of the food we eat, even though that probably is a factor. Like, we're getting food shipped from all over the world. Also, then there's the whole animal agriculture argument of that not being sustainable, There's that, but then there's also the whole, like, do you ever do a big grocery shop, right? And then you bring it all home and you're literally flabbergasted at the amount of packaging. Like, it's actually crazy. And we don't really think twice about that because it's food. And technically speaking, we kind of have to have, we have to consume that. You know, yeah, maybe we could make smarter choices, but ultimately we all have to eat. We all have to eat those calories. We all have to get that food into us. So we don't really think twice about all the packaging that comes with that. But yet we're like psychos about plastic bags and reusing plastic bags. But then did you just see all the waste that came from your food shop? I don't know. Sometimes I sit sit and think about this and I'm like, what are we doing? (laughs) I think the reason the fashion industry is under so much scrutiny is because ultimately we actually don't need to consume fashion. (laughs) When you you really break it down, we don't need to... Actually, buy any fashion in terms of like to survive. I mean, we need one outfit. Well, you would probably do with two outfits to have on rotation and maybe like a variation of different warmths of jackets depending on where you live. But we actually, to survive, do not need to purchase and consume fashion in the way that we currently do. And I think that's maybe why it's under so much scrutiny is because it isn't essential. It's kind of something that has evolved from capitalism and from consumerism. We think to look a certain way or to be perceived in a certain way or to express ourselves in a certain way that we have to consume fashion. And I am a lover of fashion. You know me. I'm not here to diss fashion I genuinely don't know what I would do if I couldn't wake up in the morning and decide what character I was going to be that day via my clothes. But I think over the years there's definitely been a huge change in the way that we consume fashion. Not to get all historical on you guys, but before like World War 1, everything was tailor-made. Everything was really good quality, tailor-made to you, you cherished your garments. They were so special. You looked after them. They were your pride and joy. If something broke, you would fix it and you would mend it. If you lost a bit of weight, you would alter it to you. I mean, I'm sure there was probably even a way of if you'd gained a little bit of weight to add on fabric and somehow alter it to you in that way. But yeah, people's garments and clothes in those days, they were really treasured. They were not treated disposably whatsoever. People invested into their their clothes. But obviously the war happened and they had to create uniforms in like standard sizes because such a huge number of people at one time basically all needed uniforms to be in the army or I don't know, wherever they were working, they all needed uniforms. It needed to be in set standard sizes, not tailor-made. And as a result, they kind of developed their technology to be able to cater for this. And as a result, they were able to mass produce all of these clothes. And that's just kind of then the direction fashion went in because not only was it cheaper to produce, it was also just way easier to produce garments on like a huge scale and throw that in with, you know, like the post-war recession and everything. People wanted cheaper clothes. That's how it all took off. And that's how we know fashion today as being everything being mass produced. There was definitely another surge of fast fashion, I would say, when social media came about, because if you actually think about it right, before social media was a thing, the only way you were seeing the likes of celebrities, models, athletes, actors, singers, you know, the the real like OG influencers. I feel like now we refer to influencers as just people that are on social media, but you know, influence the term influencer came from people that had influence and Back in the day, those were kind of the people that did have influence. So the main way of seeing them without social media was on the magazines, on sometimes on TV, newspapers, and that was it. And because of that, everything was just like a lot slower. Like if you really just take a step back and think about how long that would have taken for, first of all, a new trend to come about. Second of all, for it to be kind of adopted by the early adopters. And second, of, and, sorry, and third of all, then be like mass produced and be like gain public traction and be popularized. That whole process would have taken a long time when it's only coming from magazines and it's not in like the content that you consume as often as we consume social media. So what social media has done, because we now have instant access to see what everyone's wearing all the time. We've got direct links to buy. We've got, you know, the second someone wears something on Love Island, pretty little thing, or posting that this dress is available to buy straight away. Everything's so constant and so immediate that trend cycles have been sped up so quickly. You know, what once took literally five years to adopt or not necessarily to adopt, but five years for the cycle, for the trend cycle to kind of play its full way out. As in be introduced, become adopted, be popularized, then go on the decline and then get rejected. Say that usually took maybe a span of a few years. No, it's literally taking months. So there was 100% a huge surge of the whole fast fashion industry when social media became a thing. You really think about it, like, I don't really remember any online fast fashion retailers being a thing when I was a lot younger. It was more just kind of like the high street stores, but now we've got so many of them. So we're just kind of consuming at like a really unprecedented rate. Like, it's just really gotten out of hand, I think, but it's kind of like our new norm. So no one actually deeps that it's gotten out of hand because it's just like what everyone does. And because this way of consuming fashion is the new norm, you know, these really cheap, mass-produced garments that we treat so disposably, we shop for one night out and never wear things again, it's really warped our perception of the value of clothes. Like, I'll see so many people on the likes of TikTok posting big, like, £300 shein hauls, or even like, even £100 shein hauls, but then turn around and be like, I can't afford to not shop fast, like, I can't afford to shop more sustainably. But it's like, if you have £100 to spend on sheeting, you have £100 to spend on a more sustainable brand. You just won't get as much quantity-wise for your money. But I don't think quantity is what we should value, especially when it comes to fashion, because realistically, the stuff that's good quality is money better spent because it's going to last you a lifetime. That £100 of sheeting clothes could all be dust. By next year, by this time next year, all that stuff could have either been given to charity because it was a micro trend that you dislike now, or it could just be in the bin because it was just like, it ripped. It was really bad quality and uh, you had to get rid of it. Whereas if you had have done the alternative thing and shopped with a better quality brand and maybe got a little bit less quantity wise for your money, but got pieces that were literally going to last you for years upon years upon years... I personally think that's money better spent but yeah I just really think the normalization of fast fashion has really warped our perception of how much clothes actually should cost. Like we think a little vest top should only cost five pounds but if you actually looked into how that is made and the length of time and the material it should be made out of to be good quality, there's no way... Anyone is getting paid fairly when you're buying something at five pounds. And I mean, we've all seen like fast fashion brands doing things for 99p, was it? There's a lot of nuances to this topic. Again, another reason why I don't like to discuss it frequently. I know that there's issues around inclusivity when it comes to smaller brands and, you know, people not being able to get their size in things and kind of having to have to shop from fast fashion retailers and I know there's people that actually point blank like I know what I said before about people saying that they can't afford to shop from more expensive brands but yet you know can't afford to spend 100 pounds in Shein. but I also know that there are people that actually genuinely point blank can't afford to shop from anything other than the cheapest fast fashion retailer so you know I do get it I know that there are a lot of Nuances to this conversation, and I also understand why it's consigned, probably quite rich, coming from me, someone who who often gets sent things from slow fashion brands. So it's like I there's probably some of you sitting here thinking, yeah, that's rich coming from you when you know you can have quantity and quality. Everyone has their own barriers, and everyone has their own kind of internal discussions when it comes to these things and making decisions with kind of battling like marketing messages also against like what you genuinely want and what makes you happy. And then I know what you feel is right. It's like always a constant battle in your head. I don't know about anyone else. And I think, you know, even if I was to turn around tomorrow and decide from now on, I'm only ever shopping secondhand. And even if I was to 100% stick to that and never slip up, Always get everything secondhand, whether it's on vintage, depop, vintage shops, charity shops. Can even that be fully sustainable? I don't know because I think the rate at which we consume clothes is a problem. And by me going out and just replacing all those clothes with secondhand clothes, but you know, still doing the hauls and still always wearing different new outfits, new outfits for me, but you know, not necessarily new clothes it's still promoting overconsumption. So like, is there even such thing as sustainable fashion? Um, I think there's more sustainable fashion. I think you can always shop more sustainably. I think if you were to truly label yourself as a sustainable fashion guru, it would probably mean never ever buying a single garment ever again, unless your winter coat got ripped and you had to buy a new one. Do you know what I mean? Unless you're actually replacing broken things. Uh, Yeah, maybe in that case you're sustainable. Am I ever going to do that? Absolutely not. Because, let's be real, I'm fashion obsessed. I study fashion marketing. I love buying new clothes. I love to express myself using fashion. I love to try out different trends. I love dumping dressing, I'm just a fashion girly at heart and I will never give that up. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Do I think overconsumption brings you happiness? No. Because I think that's always what marketing is trying to tell us that, you know, you buy this, you'll be happy. But then guess what? The next day, it's you buy this thing and you'll be happy. Like it's a never ending cycle. And I think if you can maybe break that cycle and try and consume a little bit more consciously and still enjoy consuming and still enjoy fashion for what it is and for what it brings to you without having this dependence on it to make you feel better and to make you happy. Does that make sense? I feel like there's a big difference between those things, between finding joy in something compared to being dependent on something making you happy and making you feel better about yourself. I don't really know how to round off this podcast. I think the conclusion I'm coming to in my head is that we're all just we capitalist rats, essentially. (laughs) We're all just little consuming capitalist rats. Will we ever escape it? No. No, we will not. Not in our lifetime. But can we take a step back from it and maybe make better choices? Yeah, we probably can do that. I'd say we could all do that. (laughs) Anyway, moral of the story is that the term sustainable fashion is a little bit of an oxymoron, but that doesn't mean that we can't consume fashion more sustainably than we currently are. Okay, I'm going to leave it there for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, give me a little five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends and family, share it on your Instagram story, spread the here for the crack word as always thank you guys so so much for all your support and your kind words and messages about the podcast it honestly means the world to me i am so blessed to be able to do this and i can't wait to talk to you guys in next week's episode bye